On with a Rye. This week's episode of On One is brought to you by Talkspace. Talkspace is the online therapy company that wants you to know that therapy doesn't have to break your bank. In fact, therapy should be affordable, confidential, and convenient. Over 500,000 people have used Talkspace to speak to their own hand-picked licensed therapist, and you can too. Get matched with your perfect therapist when you visit Talkspace.com backslash Angela. We're all my children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors. All we know is to fight, pray. They see God and everything I write here. Hey, everybody. It's the 11th episode of On One with Angela Rye. I'm so excited. This is the very first time that we do a specific live podcast. Last week, as you know, we had Gabrielle Union on with Lisa Ling, and we were able to use the podcast at a town hall at North Carolina A&T. Shout out North Carolina A&T. But this week, we got to convene an audience um, at the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation's annual legislative conference, which is one of my favorite times of the year. It's also my busiest week of the year. But it was so dope because I got to sit with Senator Cory Booker, who is the junior senator from the great state of New Jersey and maybe a presidential candidate for 2020. We'll see if he addresses that on this podcast. But what's great about it is we got to have a really good chat, cracked a lot of jokes. You'll get to find out in this episode of Conversate why I call him baby Jesus. And I really hope you enjoy it. We had a great time. Um, just recording it and a great time with the live audience. They had great energy. We're a lot of fun. We took a selfie. We'll make sure we get that up for you all to see. And at this time, we're going to let make sure you can hear from Senator Cory Booker. It's a great conversation. One thing that I need to note for you all, tragically, the AV guy who had one job, counted one job, all he had to do was press record. This guy doesn't press record until we're about... You know, 25 minutes into this joint. So I apologize in advance. What you all are going to hear is some audio that's not as great as the second half of the podcast. But the good news is it encourages you to stick around here in the latter part of the podcast. The bad news is the uh, first part of the audio doesn't sound as great. Um, but you don't want to miss it. We do a rapid round um, asking him some quick personal questions. Um, we talk about health care. We talk about mass incarceration. We talk about Um, some of the legislation he's introduced, some of his favorite TV shows, um, some of his guilty pleasures, and you don't want to miss it because the audio was a little challenging. Please bear with me. You all know that this has not been a challenge in the past, so this is different. We will try our very best to make sure it never happens again, but definitely listen to the whole thing. And um, if you are in D.C. this week, please definitely check us out at the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation's annual legislative conference. It's the 47th one. I can't believe it. Um, as a former executive director of the CBC, um, it's great to be here and you get to feel some of that energy in this live podcast. So I can't wait to do my next one. I hope you all enjoy this conversation. Here it is with uh, here it is. The conversate segment with Senator Cory Booker. She has been doing great things in this town far before I got That's just Don't believe the hype, ladies and gents. Don't believe the hype. Yes, have. I want to ensure before we continue, Linwood, are we recording this? We're recording. Yes. This, is, yeah, this is for your podcast, Turning the Tables. My name's Corey Worker, by the way. I, I was going to introduce him. I promise. He needs an introduction. He needs an introduction. Let's give Senator Cory Worker a 
Okay, so that's pretty hot. Oh, you're coming down. No, this is coming down. This is <laughs> Who is awesome. It was an amazing podcast. You should have to go look at downtime, whatever that might be. Okay. I'm a podcast enthusiast. Oh, okay. And I literally, I have changed my recent workout to music, but now I work out as a podcast for a while. Nice. I don't know if I can make it through an audio workout, but I feel like I have to. So how are you doing on, like, you don't want to see that people come back So that's where I'm okay to go back to your first question. Because I have to say, I love watching you, just to see you get as well as you get. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an interesting ride. Uh, there used to be a time where you could go on TV and talk about politics and strategy, what's happening on the news. And now you're arguing about, like, are there really clouds in the sky? And then you have to have a debate about whether or not that's fake news. And by the way, do you think that that's a reason that's, Is that a symptom or a contributing factor to, to gridlock in Washington? No, I think that has to do with your president. Yeah. Why did you say my president? Because he's not my president. He's the president of the United States of America. He's not my president. My president left office on January 20th. So that's the next president.
more reasonable words on TV. So with that, rapid fire. But you're right, this is called conversing for a reason. And it's not a word, but we made it one. You know, we are trendsetters and you know. And why are, why are these folks walking past not joining this? Well, Senator Cory Booker wants to know why you're not sitting down, people. He yes. wants to know why you're not hearing this live podcast. These fellas over here looking at me like, yeah, man, you know, on the top.
not empty cards. I'm serious. There's a great guy. There's a great. This is not serious. Ron Finley. He works in South Central Los Angeles. One of the best TED Talks. Ron Finley, Gorilla Gardener. He says in South Central we got drive-bys and drive-throughs, and the drive-throughs are killing more people than drive-bys. And, and, and here we are, the professional high caucus, African Americans, the death rates of African Americans in ways that are not seen in other populations, uh, hypertension, heart disease, preventable things, because what we put in our bodies often is those other factors, access to care. Black kids ten times more likely to die from asthma than white people who have seen affliction. But I do say that the diets we have as African Americans, and a lot of this, if you're my policy, why do my kids in New York and what more bigger than an apple crop? That apple is more expensive than a Tuesday crop because we subsidize so much of that. We've got to talk about the larger policy issues, access to health care. Here we are on the precipice of the Republican, again, another Republican bill Trump care about to pass. But putting all that aside, we have got to figure out ways. This is why when I was mayor, focused so much on getting rid of food deserts, urban farming, all of these things. We've got to be doing better about making sure we are putting within ourselves on things that are going to help us to radiate strength uh, and power and health. Okay, last round of firing This has not been so rapid. It's not so rapid. Now we got some folks. Now we got some folks. Stop. They still want to sit down. They still want to sit down. Well, that's because I know they, these people have to have the health benefits of standing up. They really do. That they are benefits. They're like, Corey, I'm sorry. You're being too sedentary. You want to stand and watch this podcast. Okay, well, amen, church. Last question. Last rapid fire. Last rapid fire. Chris, it doesn't get too excited. Like, we're running out of here. What is the last song you listen to? Today? Maybe if you listen to a song today, you know you like audiobooks, so maybe you listen to a song today. The last song I was I was I was uh, talking to I was oh, I was doing an interview yesterday at Politico. And I've never had an interview like this. The person would come to me and talk about the fact that I talk about love so much. And then we got into a complicated discussion with you. And I will not agree. And I just need to know that I love I love this Professionally, you just have a, a level of love and adoration for them, but I'm not sure who will agree on this issue because we were talking about he wanted to interview about love, and I just said to him uh, that I was not going to let anybody make me pull me down so low that, I, that I'm going to hate them. And I, we started talking about what am I going to disagree with? We were talking about the president of the United States. And I know this is the president. I think you you can you should not hate human beings. Thank you, thank you. And so after we can't figure that out. So I was telling the story. I was telling him the story. <laughs> he just got it. He's back. Took me a moment. Took me a moment. Not hating human beings. You're human beings. I love you. Okay, so this this is what I was telling him. I was on. I gave my speech at the convention. Yeah. And um, at which point, at the end of the night, my mom ran up. What an amazing speech. I'm like, thank you, mom. She goes, no, not you, Michelle Obama. Because <laughs> I had to go right before Michelle Obama. But anyway, I, I, I get a tweet from the first time that the president was selecting me to tweet me to me. And which was good because I felt left out in the Senate. He had been mean tweeting everybody from John, the mean tweet. John the mean tweet. and Kane to Elizabeth Warren. He was mean tweeting about yes. everybody. It was an equal opportunity to be a tweeter. But finally, he, 
then those pension funds were picking managers. Those management companies were investing in real estate organizations, real estate organizations, were coming into our communities and often gentrifying those communities. So you were actually paying for your own demise in terms of your moving out of these communities. And so there's something wrong with this picture. If we can't start making sure that the, the playing field is not even level so that African Americans, Latinos, and women get a chance to manage it, which is often fine, those firms then making decisions about their investments that reflect the interests of communities. So this is one of those things, these vicious circles that people don't understand how it is absolutely important um, um, who is managing money. And, and who gets those opportunities. And so this was the, the focus of our campus today. So um, a couple of other things that have been known to talk about um, mass incarceration. And of course, today you brought up health care a couple of times. We know that Senators Graham and Cassidy have built for a bill. I want to go back to mass incarceration. So from first course, mass incarceration for COVID-19 So this is a, a, a toxic bill. It will take our country back 
outspoken about this particular measure for different reasons than I think many of us would uh, agree with, but it's against it nonetheless. You have worked with him in the past on issues related to mass incarceration. I'd love for you to tell uh, the growing audience that is standing up for health reasons, as you put it. Yes. Um, just a little bit about what you all have done and what you hope to see happen relative to mass incarceration this year going forward. So look, I mean, so geographically divided ourselves as a country, um, we don't sometimes grasp how that the greatest cancer on the soul of America is what we have done when it comes to mass incarceration. This is the greatest singular cancer on the soul of our country, a nation that professes to be a nation of liberty and justice for all, that literally on the building of the Supreme Court it says equal justice under law. And, and mass incarceration has not been the history of our country. It really was just in the 60s and 70s that, that we went from being just like our industrial peers to having our incarceration rate go up 800% at the federal level since 1980 alone. And what we've done it is churned unconscionable levels of humanity into our jails and our prisons. Unconscionable levels. One third, one out of every three imprisoned women on the planet Earth are in the United States of America. One out of four people in total incarcerated on the planet Earth are in the United States of America. And who do we incarcerate? I went to Stanford University. They weren't stopping and frisking people coming home from crap parties. The FBI wasn't setting up sting operations to, to, to figure out where the, you know, anybody who's on college campus knows where to get the Adderall or the marijuana or the ecstasy or the cocaine. But, but the reality is, it is in urban communities, it's in poor communities, where this drug war is being carried out. More drugs is not war, drugs is war on people. And our jails in America are full of the mentally ill, the, 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 the addicted, uh, the poor, the low-income folks, and overwhelmingly uh, minorities. And, and if you just focus on minorities for a second, it has been such a thorough way of, of effectively cementing the discriminations of the past and the present. You know, uh, there's a university that came out. We have 20% less poverty on a whole in our country if we have incarceration rates just like our peers. Because you all know this. If, you have, if you're a 17-year-old and you have a felony conviction, you're doing things that two of the last three presidents have been to do. You now have a 17-year-old felony conviction. Your lifetime earnings drop precipitously. You can't get a job. You can't get a loan from the bank. You can't get a Pell Grant just for doing things that Congress people in private quarters talked about the fact that they've done. We now have more African Americans in this nation under criminal supervision than all the slaves in 1865. And it's destroyed not just economic power, but political power. This war on so-called war on drugs. Think about this. Florida is the swingiest of swing states. And one out of every five African Americans in Florida cannot vote because of felony disenfranchisement. And where did felony disenfranchisement come from? Go to the record generations ago where states were talking about taking away voting rights because of felony, because of felony disenfranchisement. disenfranchisement. Literally in the state debates, they talked about, hey, this is a way for us to stop blacks from voting. Specifically said, 
And the legacy of that racist policy is the fact that we have congresspeople and senators who smoke dope or done drugs who are serving in the Senate, but who have kids in communities 18, 19, 20 years old that can't vote for doing lesser crimes because they were caught. Don't forget, this week's podcast is brought to you by Talkspace. Talkspace is the online therapy company that makes it easy, convenient, and affordable to get therapy. More than 500,000 people have experienced what Talkspace has to offer, from one-on-one sessions to couples therapy. Talkspace is ready to help you unpack any and everything. It makes it easy to connect with an experienced, licensed therapist that you pick based on your preferences for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy. Talkspace therapists are fully licensed and go through a rigorous screening process in addition to thousands of hours of supervised professional training. You can send your therapist text messages, audio messages, and video messages, or even do a live video chat. And Talkspace is 100% confidential. You can remain completely anonymous if you want to. It's time to join the over 500,000 users who have experienced the relief of being able to talk to a therapist at their discretion and on their own time. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com backslash Angela. And as a special officer, oh, as a special offer, well, maybe an officer too, but as a special offer for our listeners, you can and you should use coupon code Angela to get $30 off your first month and show your support for On One, this podcast. That's code Angela and Talkspace.com backslash Angela. Talkspace is therapy for how we live today. Senators Graham and Cassidy have put forth a bill, uh, and and I want to go back to mass incarceration, but I want to start with the really, really bad stuff. First, of course, mass incarceration is horrible, but you're doing some positive work there. This bill, they're talking about pulling $215 billion in federal funding immediately from the existing health care system and and could end up um, cutting $4 trillion. Um, from healthcare, talk a little bit about what is wrong with this very poisonous bill, and what we can count on senators of reasonable minds to do in the wake of this potential legislation. I, I, this is really uh, that moment we saw weeks ago, where John McCain, at the very last moment, voted against Trump Care, which would have not just people think this is just about repealing and replacing Obamacare. It's more than that. So, so it is that it is. Uh, uh, taking away protections against uh, uh, people, insurance companies being able to discriminate you because of a pre-existing condition. Uh, Ending what I call junk insurance, where somebody's paying for their insurance, but suddenly they get cancer and realize, wait a minute, my insurance doesn't cover hospitalization. My insurance has a lifetime cap where I can't, once I expend a certain amount of money, they stop paying for it. Uh, Going back to the days that the number one reason people file personal bankruptcy is because they can't afford their medical bills. In fact, since the Affordable Care Act, since Obamacare, bankruptcies in the United States have been cut in half. So not only is it reversing all of that, as well as it, it's also doing more. It's attacking Planned Parenthood, which in many counties and communities like mine are a major portal for people to get access to health care, to contraceptive care, to preventative health care. But then it's taking a 52-year-old program, Medicaid, and completely gutting Medicaid. It is putting a cap on Medicaid, uh, which is going to take billions of dollars away from states all around the, uh, the country and allowing those states to do anything they want, to have a lot large latitude with what they do with the money, which ultimately, as we've seen 
from the Congressional Budget Office scoring this before when they've come after Medicaid. It's going to move tens of millions of people off Medicaid. And most people think, oh, this is just for, for low-income people. Well, first of all, that should be enough. But nearly half of all births in America are children are covered by Medicaid. Disabled parents, even the, uh, parents who are in, in middle-income parents, it will attack uh, uh, children's resources with disabilities. Uh, more than half of, of, of elderly that are in nursing homes, remember, they're for, many of them are forced to pay down their own assets, and then Medicaid k- kicks in. This is an assault on most Americans. And by the way, when you assault the healthcare of Americans, you're actually hurting all of America. So this is a, a, a toxic bill that will take our country back, uh, uh, not just to before Obamacare, but it'll take us back decades and decades and decades and undermine the progress we as a country done. And for any of us in this moral moment, you will not be asked to, to storm beaches in Normandy. You will not be asked to do freedom rides knowing your bus will be bombed and you will be beaten. But this is our moral moment in our country right now. It is astonishing to me that this week, the United States Senate passed a defense bill worth hundreds yeah. of billions of dollars that we could get together for the national defense but yet, just after seeing hurricanes, we, that we don't understand that we have to, uh, the, the, the defense of this nation isn't just nuclear weapons from uh, a North Korea. It is also the things that challenge us, whether it is a natural disaster or the plague of cancer in our country. This nation founded its government for the national defense. And healthcare should be a fundamental, if we are a nation that believes in life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, fundamental to those ideals is everyone in our country having access to affordable quality health care so thank you yes absolutely clap for that um we're here at the cbc foundation's annual legislative conference and you just gave a lot of reason for people to lean in and to engage in the political process your health care is on the line like not just your health care but but it, it, even if you're a, somebody who's sitting here who is of means wealthy yeah. it, it it is really the it's an assault on the ideals of america and it's and we're, we're it's going to drive up costs i mean this is a time where where apathy indifference and inaction is unacceptable especially as i look out in this room full of african americans who understand how dangerous i mean king called folk out he goes, I don't worry about the person on the street like Bull Connor who's yelling. That's that's not as, 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 as difficult for me to stomach as in the well-meaning people who are doing nothing. He, he said eloquently, more eloquently than I could say that, that what we'll have to repent for is not just the vitriolic words and violent actions of the bad people, but the appalling silence and inaction of the good people. Right. And so everybody right now has to ask himself, what am I doing when we are days literally hours away from this bill coming to a vote potentially what am i doing to try to stop it from happening again am i putting pressure on congress people uh, uh to, to not vote uh to end health care as we know it in america what are again if you could just give one way because you said what am i doing there are people here that obviously want to get involved but sometimes we don't know how to get involved right so what is one thing that they can do to ensure that they're applying that type of pressure to their members of congress call your call the office shut i mean a, a couple iterations ago of Obamacare, folk were shutting down the switchboards in the Senate. They were calling so much. This last week, uh-uh. And so Quiet. if you know Monday the battle starts, 
shut down the switchboards. Call Congress people and senators in, from your states uh, uh, and let them know. And the number two is if we can come down here for this CBC event, come down to the Capitol steps. Yeah. I mean, I was amazed at when John Lewis and I, without telling people, we just sat on the Capitol steps during one of the battles and hundreds of people in the middle of the night came out to stand with uh, Congressman John Lewis and me uh, and others, other legislative leaders who came out. So we've got to show a level of activism that we've shown in the past. I'm sitting here right now because a whole bunch of folk counted it not as robbery to come out and march and protest and let their voices be heard. This is, I'm telling you, in our lifetime, we may not see a battle as consequential as, the, as what will happen to health care if this legislation goes through next week. So um, I want to switch gears briefly. We know that Senator Rand Paul has been outspoken about this particular measure for different reasons than I think many of us would uh, agree with, but he's against it nonetheless. You have worked with him in the past on issues relating to mass incarceration. I'd love for you to tell uh, the growing audience that is standing up for health reasons, as you put it, um, just a little bit about what you all have done and what you hope to see happen relative to mass incarceration this year and going forward. So look, I mean because we've we've so geographically divided ourselves as a country um we don't sometimes grasp how that the greatest cancer on the soul of america is what we have done when it comes to mass incarceration this is the greatest singular cancer on the soul of our country a nation that professes to be a nation of liberty and justice for all that literally on the building of the supreme court it says equal justice under law and, and mass incarceration has not been the history of our country. It really was just in the 60s and 70s that, that we went from being just like our industrial peers to having our incarceration rate go up 800% at the federal level since 1980 alone. And what we've done is churn unconscionable levels of humanity into our jails and our prisons, unconscionable levels. One third, one out of every three imprisoned women on the planet Earth are in the United States of America. One out of four people in total incarcerated on the planet Earth are in the United States of America. And who do we incarcerate? I went to Stanford University. They weren't stopping and frisking people coming home from frat parties. They, FBI wasn't setting up sting operations to, to, to figure out where the, you know, the, anybody who's on a college campus knows where to get the Adderall or the marijuana or the ecstasy or the cocaine. But, but the reality is it is in urban communities, it's in poor communities where this drug war is being carried out. The war on drugs is not a war on drugs, it's a war on people. And our jails in America are full of the mentally ill. The, 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 the addicted, uh, the poor, the low-income folks, and overwhelmingly uh, minorities. And, and if you just focus on minorities for a second, it has been such a thorough way of, of, of effectively cementing the discriminations of the past and the present. You know, uh, there's a university study that just came out. We'd have 20% less poverty on a whole in our country if we had incarceration rates just like our peers, because you all know this, if, you ha- if you're have, if you a 17-year-old and you have a felony conviction for doing things that two of the last three presidents admitted to doing, 
You now have a 17-year-old felony conviction. Your lifetime earnings drop precipitously. You can't get a job. You can't get a loan from a bank. You can't get a Pell Grant just for doing things that Congress people in private quarters talk about the fact that they've done. We now have more African Americans in this nation under criminal supervision than all the slaves in 1865. And it's destroyed not just economic power, but political power. This war on the so-called war on drugs. Think about this. Florida is the swingiest of swing states. And one out of every five African Americans in Florida cannot vote because of felony disenfranchisement. And where did felony disenfranchisement come from? Go to the record generations ago where states were talking about taking away voting rights because of felony because of felony disenfranchisement disenfranchisement literally in the state debates they talked about hey this is a way for us to stop blacks from voting specifically said and the legacy of that racist policy is the fact that we have congress people and senators who smoke dope or done drugs who are serving in the Senate, but you have kids in communities 18, 19, 20 years old that can't vote for doing lesser crimes because they were caught. Because in America, there's no difference between blacks and whites for using drugs or dealing drugs. But if you're African-American in America, you're about four times more likely to be caught, 3.7 to be exact, to be caught for doing drugs than somebody that's white. And so this is not just a black-white issue. We have seen, we've watched in one generation from my parents having the best infrastructure on the planet Earth, roads, bridges, tunnels, ports, to now it crumbling in one generation. Other nations have faster trains than us, more efficient ports than us, uh, better highways and roads. But there's one area. I was in Eastern Europe and people were asking me, they couldn't understand what America was doing to itself because there's one area we've built out the best infrastructure on the planet Earth, spending hundreds of billions of dollars to do it, and that is jails and prisons. Between the time I was in law school and the time I was mayor of the city of Newark, we were building, uh, roughly building a, a new prison every 10 days in America. And that's to warehouse human co- potential and capacity. I go to prisons as often as I can and I ask wardens, are there people here that shouldn't be that to the cost of us taxpayers, tens of thousands of dollars a year that we could be investing in education, investing in infrastructure? And the wardens look at me with pain. They say there's lots of folks that should not be here. They're wasting taxpayer dollars. And so this is a cancer on the soul of our country. And by the way, it is our ignorance of the reality that is giving this strength. And I'll give you one thing. Most of us think we have, we still have trials in America. Most of us think have this vision, 12 angry men, that we've got juries and folks. I cannot tell you how many young people I've sat who say to me when they got charged with something that again, I keep talking about past presidents because Bush and Obama didn't, didn't cop to a little bit of marijuana. You read Dreams of Our Fathers, felony drug use. And I've got kids sitting in my office who've said to me, well, the prosecutor gave me a choice. Be tried as an adult and, and, and face mandatory minimums. Remember, we have these draconian laws. Oh, if you're in a school zone, which includes parks and places like that, well, you're in Newark, New Jersey, the entire, densely populated, the entire place. So this kid is getting the threat. You, we will try you as an adult. You will face five years, 10 years, or whatever, or you can get out right now 
time served, but you're going to have that felony conviction. What do the kids choose? There's a whole book written you all should read, Why Innocent People Plead Guilty. The prosecutor in plea bargain has so much pressure. I've had people tell me the scariest stories. And so what's that resulted to in our criminal justice system? Do we have trials anymore? 97 to 98% of all criminal convictions in America now are done in plea bargains. And folk don't realize when they're making those decisions to plead guilty to felony drug possession or possession with intent to distribute that when they get out, doors are being closed to them in tragic fashion. And so for us to be complicit in this system, for us to do nothing to change it, we, we are allowing what I believe is one of the greatest threats to our democracy right now. And the whole scale disenfranchisement of communities. Because where I grew up in, in New Jersey, I grew up, my parents literally had to get a white couple to pose as them to be the first black family to move into an affluent town in northern New Jersey. Me and my friends, I watched, I watched folk Break. I, I still remember there was one senior cut day. Some of my friends went to go buy liquor with a fake ID. place was locked and closed, so they kicked open the back door, stole some cases. They got caught, and the right thing happened. Parents got involved. Everything was you know, taken care of. Those guys are off producing now, contributing to the economy, raising kids. The same thing I've lived for the last 20 years in Newark, New Jersey. The same thing happens in Newark. What do you think happens to those kids? We have children right now in systems that we are not adequately protesting against, that have been in prison for months, six months, a year, a year and a half, and they are still waiting for a trial. Right. Children in solitary confinement, which there is a consensus among psychological professionals in our country that call that torture. Right now in America, other countries call us out for our human rights violations because this is what we're doing to our children. And so I I can't sit still. it, It so bothers me that we have a nation that allows this level of injustice to persist that hurts every single American. And so, yeah, I got bills on you, name it. I got bills on banning the box. I got bills on lowering sentencing. I got bills to legalize, to get the, the federal government out of marijuana, the marijuana illegal, making marijuana illegal, the marijuana prohibition business. I got bills against solitary confinement. I got bills saying when women are in prison, you should not be charging them $2, $3 a minute to call their children. Because there's a consensus that shows that women who are in prison, and please understand, this is the United States of America, what women do we put in prison? Over 70% of them are survivors of domestic violence. 86% of them are survivors of sexual violence, rape, and molestation. And they're overwhelmingly less violent than their male peers. Getting caught up in conspiracy charges where you know that woman played such a small part in the conspiracy, but she gets the same charge as a person that was playing the biggest role. And we put them in and the overwhelming majority have children under 18. And now you're telling me you're gonna even charge them for tampons and maxi pads to the point where they can't afford to call their children that are now separated between two and three homes when everybody knows you lower recidivism rates if you strengthen that bond between mother and child, not to mention helping that child have a productive time in school. 
So I, I, I'm sorry. I'm, this is not a filibuster. I promise no, you. This, this is, is me this venting is, amongst folks that I, 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 I believe in because I'm so outraged by the system. And so I am going to, I don't care what the audience is. I don't care where I am. I am going to fight against this injustice in our country that is a waste of taxpayer dollars. It's a violation of our conceptions of justice and morality and ultimately is undermining our competitiveness in the globe. So that's excellent. If it's from the standpoint of fiscal responsibility and saving taxpayer dollars, or on the other side of just the blatant civil rights violations and justice issues. So even people that profess to be Christian majority, sure. Christian conservatives, read the Bible more, far more than talking about gay folk. Right. Uh, 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 the Bible's talking about uh, poor people. The Bible's talking about imprisoned people. And what are we doing, what our obligations are to each other? So the question is, this sounds like a unifying issue that could really work for 2020. Listen, Chuck Grassley. No, no, no. No, no, no. (laughs) Nice try. I'm not going to get filibustered on this point. So for 2020. The year that I am up for re-election to the Senate. That's so cute. 2020. When I'm I'm running for re-election for the Senate. Is also a presidential election year. It absolutely is. I think we're in search of a candidate, right, folks? Don't we need a presidential candidate? He's leaning away from the mic. Isn't that the first time today? So I guess we don't have any, there's no breaking news here? Um, I, I think it is, it is fundamentally problematic when politicians are in an office, especially with years left in their term, and they're already thinking about the next office they're going to run for. Are you throwing shade at Barack Obama? Because that's what he did. And I'm telling you right now, it compromises you. I just sat here and talked about something that's real. We have no, a- it's, it's real, but we really need a candidate because we really have a troll in the White House right now. Uh, well, I think that America, I think that... Am I lying? <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? I'm uh, only right. Okay. I'm going to keep calling you out because you're such he a good just friend. Hold, he held the mic like I'm this. holding on, but God, dear God. It's like, why is she bothering me? Chris <laughs> no. is like, Tom's up. First of all, <laughs> we cannot take a guy who literally is calling national leaders by nicknames and messing up. We don't. We call, we'll call them. Let's call him the president. We know of the we States. can't. So we're just trying to find. I our know. Candidates, I, I, and I'm Booker. trying to say to you that we, we know, as we've seen often, leaders emerge at the at, at the time that we need them. I, I just I thought that he didn't sound like a leader just now, y'all. He didn't sound like. I, I'm no, gonna, okay. I'm going to say to you finally, like, take for example the farm bill coming up. I'm going to get back to this presidency thing. It's outrageous to me that we are using taxpayers to subsidize, not small farmers, large right. corporations uh, producing things that make us sick. Uh, I mean, corn syrup and uh, 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 sugar and all these things that we are subsidizing that literally, again, as I said, when you walk into a bodega in a community like mine and that Twinkie product is cheaper than the apple. Now, now I, I, I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of folks that are afraid to speak out against this, this kind of uh, corporate welfare and industry because, oh, I got to go to Iowa where that's a big thing. I'm not concerned about the future. I'm concerned about the threats and the issues that are really affecting people's lives right now. I want to be the most effective United States Senator as possible. I'll let the future take care of itself. But God gave me this moment right now, and I'm going to try to squeeze everything I can uh, into making change and let the future take care of itself. So baby Jesus is not going to give us an announcement today. That's fine. But we can read between the lines. Okay. And we can uh, hope and and pray for the best. Last question. Because you have to, he's like, thank God, (laughs) um, is what advice you would give to young elected officials, to current candidates, to people thinking about running? 
running for office, one of the things that I receive in DMs mostly or emails um, through my firm are folks who, you know, are, are listening to the podcast and want to know how they can get involved, talking about they want to run and can our firm help. And some, I'm sorry, I can tell you all this. We don't do that type of work, but there are lots of consultants out there who do. Um, just what advice you would give to folks who are leaning into that process and want to figure out how they can make a difference by running for office? Well, look, you can't lead the people if you don't love the people. And, and it's very important to me if you're thinking about trying to put yourself out for office that you are present uh, in the community and focus on the on the issues of the community. One of my favorite books is Alice Walker's In Search of My Mother's Garden. Y'all got three books to read today. All right. And she, she writes, and I'm, I'll, I'll, I won't get the quote exactly right, but she says she's got a chapter called The Black Revolutionary Artist. And she says the real revolutionary is always concerned with the least glamorous stuff. Uh, raising a child's reading level from third grade to fourth. Filling out food stamp forms for people because folk got to eat revolution or not. The real black revolutionary artist is always close enough to the people to be there for them when they are needed. And so often people want to be leaders, but they forget the understanding of how important it is to be a servant um, and to humble yourself to the communities uh, that, that we that we that, that desperately need authentic leaders. Um, I, I wrote in my books just the stories of the, you know, I always say I got my BA from Stanford, but my PhD from the streets of Newark because of these incredible leaders that took me when I was a 20-something-year-old young man and really taught me what it means to put yourself out there and run for office. And and so, you know, look, whether it's my story of how I became a city councilman in Newark, New Jersey, um, or some of the people that I revere, like John Lewis, who didn't seek to be a, a leader. I mean, at the end of the day, he's one, he's a living embodiment of the ideal that life is about purpose. It's not about position. Um, live a life of purpose and the positions will come. And so my prayer for all of us is not to look at ourselves is on a journey towards a title, mm-hmm. but say, why am I on this earth? And, and if these are the moral values that motivate me, am I willing to make an extraordinary commitment to those? Because you cannot have extraordinary success unless you make extraordinary sacrifice, extraordinary commitment. And so if you really want to see, and I, I still remember being on a college campus, going around a circle asking these young folks, what do you want to be when you grow up? I asked one person, said, oh, I really love kids. I just want to do something to help kids, maybe be a teacher. I'm not really sure yet. And I said, that's great. And then I went to the next person. I want to be president of the United States. And, and I just use that as a comparison to what will take you further in life. Because if you're one of those politicians that so badly wants a position and doesn't have a larger purpose, then you're going to do everything possible to sacrifice to keep that position, even sacrifice morals, values, and what's right. What you really want is somebody that's motivated by helping kids or so on and so forth because there's going to come time, and I've had them in my life, that there's a gut check. Mm-hmm. Is it really worth keeping this job if I can't speak up for what is really right? And so I just tell everybody, and I try to do this, and I do it regularly, write down on paper, why am I on this earth? What is my life governing values and what's my life purpose? And am I staying, staying true north to that? And if you find that purpose and you can write down what your governing values are, live passionately in accordance to that every single day. And we all make mistakes. We all stumble. I have some nights where I get caught in a state of sedentary agitation. I'm so upset, but I'm not getting up and doing anything. All I'm doing is sitting there eating my cookie dough, watching Netflix. Vegan cookie dough. Vegan cookie dough. But, but the reality is what I hope hope every one of us does good days or bad days true courage true courage is not the standing up and giving the big speech or running for the big campaign true courage is that no matter what happens how bad it is in that day that that the true courage is that voice that whispers to you in the next morning get up 
get out of bed, go back into this world, and keep fighting for what you believe in. That's awesome. This is Senator Cory Booker, you all. This is On One with Angela Rye. We'll give you a round of applause, and thank you for your time. Can we get a, can we get a bigger round of applause for this amazing woman, thank Angela you. Rye? Give it up thank for Angela. Stands up for us, fights for us. You are really a, a great server. You don't have this big title, but you are really one of the more effective uh, change makers that I know. Thank you. They call me the yellow side I say I'm just my father's daughter Like Christ my body beating But I refuse to holler Won't give up the satisfaction But I let the tears flow Steady praying for a father Forgive him, they don't know That the revolution will not be televised Twitter and Facebook Excuse me as I scrutinize Out of the mouth of this babe Comes perfected praise As if you needed a